Well, welcome everybody. Um, welcome, living well. Welcome to our visitors. We're we're glad you're here. Um, the Bible talks in Romans chapter one verse twelve. Uh, Paul talks about being comforted by our mutual faith. What's that mean? Well, it means like you have the same faith I have, and when I see you and you know God at work in your life, or there's some connection there that has to do with our faith. There's comfort there. There's comfort on both sides. So it's comforting for us when visitors come. And I hope it's comforting for you to just be around people who love the Lord, who love his word and, and meet to worship him every Sunday. So hopefully that mutual comfort uh, will be evident this morning. So. All right. So we we are going to start. Oh, I forgot. OK, Paul. Paul wants to learn Spanish. Okay, he's got, like, there was a Spanish guy this morning, and all Paul could do was be like, hola. Like, how do you invite someone? Like, like he wants to learn Spanish to be able to interact with people like that. You know, if, if is there anyone else who would be like, well, I, I'd be interested in that. Yeah, so a whole bunch of people. Okay, so so I think what I would recommend is you guys just have a huddle also, okay? And you could, here, here's what I would do if I were going to do that. I'd say, okay, everybody download Duolingo, Duolingo on your phone. It's a free language learning app. Everybody do lesson one this week, and when we come together on Sunday, we will habla con los verbos in lesson one juntos like we will all like if lesson one is like how to say hi then next week you, you're all going to say hi to each other so you're you're not meeting every night for four hours to study spanish but you have a benchmark you're, you're gonna meet and on sunday we're all going to practice lesson one then next week you 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 would do lesson two or something like that paul Nobody will know. Yeah. Hold up your hands again for Paul. You're not committing to anything right now. Uh. <laughs> So we're going to we are going to start a new series. So we do expository preaching. We we just preach verse by verse, passage by passage through the whole book. We don't leave out the hard parts. We don't double down on my favorite part. We just preach what the book says and and praise the Lord, we we have God's word. Okay. Now, before we start the Gospel of John though, I want to just cover this week why John Okay, why why are we doing this anyway? Because that's helpful. And I want to start by giving an illustration from the medical field. Okay, so my illustration is anorexia nervosa. Okay, so anorexia nervosa is a super common eating disorder. You've probably heard of it. And maybe some of you struggled with that. Okay, this is what anorexia nervosa is. It is a perception problem. So if I had anorexia, my body image wouldn't match reality. Okay, so when I look in the mirror, I wouldn't see what's actually there. 
So if I, if I had anorexia, I, I might be six foot tall and weigh 130 pounds. Super skinny. But when I look in the mirror, I have a perception problem and I see myself as being really heavy. So the result of that is super tight control over the calories that I'll eat. Why? Because I am so afraid of gaining weight. So it's a control thing. So, so I'm going to control what I eat, even to the point of, of sometimes people with bulimia, they'll vomit. Okay. So, so people die from anorexia. It's super serious. Okay. They, their perception of being overweight and having an, an intense, overwhelming fear of gaining weight leads to such severe calorie restrictions that they just might kill themselves through calorie deprivation. Okay, the solution for someone with anorexia, okay, obviously it's to just go eat more, right? But it's not that simple, why? It's because of their perception, it's because of their fear, because they don't want to gain that weight, which they need to gain weight. So, so the solution for someone with anorexia is to trust their therapist, trust their doctor, trust their dietitian, whatever it is, however they're getting help, they need to listen to someone else who says, actually, you are not overweight. Let's look at the, the BMI chart again. You're actually way underweight. Okay, but until that person who's struggling with anorexia will trust the BMI chart, will trust their therapist, trust their doctor, whatever, and eat according to what they say, they're gonna they're stuck in their situation. Does this make sense? Okay. The solution is let someone else decide what you do and don't eat. Let someone else define what's healthy for you. But to do that, they they have to surrender that control over what they eat and don't eat. So what does this have to do with the book of John? Well, we'll we'll get to that, okay? We'll get to that, and and what I'd like to do is is just start with start with getting my folder in place. Okay, start with this. There's something missing from today's church at large, and I'm not talking about Midtown. I'm not talking about that church you came from. I'm not talking about any one specific church. I'm talking about the church culture at large, our, our, our cultural church in America right now. There's something missing in our churches. And, and the reason we know this is because people in churches are struggling mightily. They continue to struggle with issues. And... What's missing from the churches is the power of God in our services. I don't know if you've ever been to a church service and there was music and there was preaching and there was prayer, but there was no power in it. Okay, I would be so bold as to suggest that that is a description of our typical 
cultural church in America right now, okay, that they have a form of godliness. They have all the different things in place, okay, but where, where are, are the salvations and the baptisms and the holiness and the victory? Where is the comfort and the joy in people's lives? Because a lot of times people, uh, they, they aren't getting that. You guys, have you been to some churches like that? Yeah, okay, so, so all of us. And here's the problem is that people want to be amused by God's people and not be amazed by God's power. You know, in Acts chapter 2, when the power of God was evident, Acts chapter 2 verse 7 says, And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to, to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? Verse 12 says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, and said one to another, What meaneth this? There was a time in church history where people didn't come because the music was professional. They didn't come because the pastor was funny. They came because they saw the power of God and it changed them. And they said, what? Like, like they marveled and they're like, what's going on with those people? What's going on in that place? Second Corinthians chapter 14, verse 23, speaking about the manifestation of spiritual gifts, Verse 23 says, if therefore the whole church come together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or, or unbelievers, will they not say that ye are mad? Okay, so, so everyone in the church is manifesting a, a spiritual gift in the, in the church at Corinth and, and an unbeliever walks in and sees the confusion. They're like, oh, that's everyone's crazy. But if all prophecy, if everyone's preaching the word of God and there come in one that believeth not or is unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all. And thus, listen to this, are the secrets of his heart made manifest and so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. And so the, the power of God can be manifested through the preaching of God. The power of God can be manifested through praise. The power of God can be manifested through prayer. But that doesn't happen every week in every church. And be the, as, as our culture gets worse and worse, and the church looks more and more like the world, we're seeing this happen all over. And we're going to be in the book of John because we need some things to avoid the trap that comes from living in the Odyssey church age. Okay, so I don't know how familiar you are with with Revelation, but turn in your Bibles to Revelation. Okay, turn in your Bibles to Revelation uh, chapter two. What you have in Revelation chapter 2 are seven letters to seven different churches. Okay, so what we have here on the whiteboard, here's seven different locations. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos. So this is Turkey. This is what is modern-day Turkey. This is the Aegean Sea. 
okay? So Ephesus, so the, Ephesus was a church planting church, and they planted all these different churches on what was called um, Asia Minor, now modern-day Turkey. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. So in, in Revelation chapter 2, you have seven letters written to these seven churches. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, there's a letter to the church at Ephesus. Verses 8 through 11, letter to Smyrna. 12 through 17, to Pergamos, Thyatira, uh, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. Now, if you stop and ask yourself, why is this in the Bible like this? And you study out church history, what you'll find is these seven letters match up with seven different church ages throughout church history. And you can go through and you can see how the church at Ephesus matches up with the apostolic church from 31 AD to 100. And then you could go through the whole thing. Smyrna, the persecuted church, and Pergamos, the, you could just go through this whole thing, and then what you'll find is the last church age. The last church age is the Church of Laodicea, which goes from sometime in the 1800s. Like, there's overlap. Like, this isn't perfect. But, but in Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, what we have is a description. It's a letter written to our church age. Now, it's not that we can't learn from all these others. Like, you, we want to be the church of Philadelphia. We don't want to be the church of Laodicea. Okay, but when we, when we put all this together, what we find is Revelation 13, verses four, uh, Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 21 has special application for us. So, so let's look at these verses. Revelation chapter 3, 14 through 19. The pattern is there's a letter to the church and God's like, hey, here's a commendation. Good job. I know your works and you're holding fast. Good job. There'll, there'll be some sort of attaboy. And then there's like, yeah, but, okay, there's some sort of condemnation. So there's a commendation. Good job. But then there's also, hey, by the way, you need to work on this. And then there's an admonition. Like, here's, here's how you fix this. That's the pattern for all seven church ages, except for which one? Laodicea. What's missing with the church of Laodicea? There's no attaboy for us. Okay. If you were the Lord and you were looking at cultural Christianity in America and, and, and the, the rainbow flag is on the building... And the pastor hasn't studied his or her Bible. For, like, like, I don't know. I think I would maybe not have a commendation for that church that's not going, that's not baptizing, that's not winning souls, that's not making disciples, that's not training leaders, that's not strategically involved in the mission that God left them for on the planet. Again, I'm not, I am not talking about your church that you came from. I'm not talking about this church. I'm talking about the church culture at large as described to the church of Laodicea, which matches up what we're seeing in our country. Check me on that, if, if that doesn't make sense to you, or if you feel like I'm being maybe too too harsh on that, okay? 
So here's what it says, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the men, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mightest be rich and white raiment that thou mightest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear but anoint the, and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that they may see. Okay, so so the church at Laodicea has a perception problem, just like the anorexic person has a perception problem. Okay, there's a lot of people with identity issues in our culture today who 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 think they're one thing when they're really another thing, and that just goes along with the church of Laodicea. By the way, that word Laodicea means the people rule or the people reign. Justice of the people. So, so the people decide for themselves what's right and wrong, and they rule and reign. Okay, the, the people, not not the the leaders necessarily. So, so the Laodicean church is delusional. Okay, so they think they're what. Oh, yeah, let's see. I'm rich. God says you're poor. They say, I'm increased with goods and have need of nothing. And God says, you're wretched and miserable. You're poor, you're blind, you're naked. You don't know the state in which you actually exist. You have a perception problem. And this is why we're going to be in the book of John. Okay, but we're not quite ready for that yet. So, so what's God mean when he says they're wretched? So what we do is we compare scripture to scripture to figure out what that means. And so the word wretched is found twice in your Bible. It's found here in Revelation chapter 3. It's also found in Romans chapter 7 verse 24. And the wretched man in Romans is one who can't get victory over the flesh. Romans 7.21, I find, uh, 7.21, I find in a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into the captivity of the law of sin, which is in my members. Here it is. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? So the wretched man is the person who can't get victory. I would do good, but every time I try, I end up messing up. I don't want to do evil, but then I end up doing evil. Oh my goodness, how come I can't just follow God, which is my heart's desire? Well, because I'm in this flesh. And in in Romans 7, like, try harder, try harder, do better, try harder. That is the trap of Romans 7, and there is a way out of Romans 7, but it's not in Romans 7. Okay, the Laodicean church member is miserable. So miserable, that word is found three times. Okay, it's found here in Revelation chapter 3. It's also found in Job 16, 
verse 2. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, the word is associated with weariness and hopelessness. Let's look at it. Job 16, 1. Job answered and said, I have heard many such things. Miserable comforters are ye all. Okay, so, so miserable, Job is telling his quote-unquote friends and helpers and comforters that they are miserable. He goes on to say in verse 7 that he has been made weary. He's supposed to be receiving comfort in his grief, but instead he's just getting this help okay, from his friends, and it's left him in a position of weariness. He's not getting the help he needs. In, second, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, Paul said, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are, uh, we are of all men most miserable. So the, the miserable person, it's associated with weariness, not getting the, the help you need. It's associated with hopelessness. God forbid that people would come to a church service weary and hopeless and they would leave the same way. Revelation 3 says that the, the people in the church at Laodicea are poor. They're like, I'm not poor. You ought to see all the stuff I got. I'm rich. I'm increased with goods. And is that what God's talking about? No, that's actually, the point is spiritually, they're super needy. They're not okay. And they're trying to fill that void by buying that next thing. Okay, they, they think they're rich. They think they're increased with goods, which they are materially. Laodicea was a wealthy trade center, okay? They, they, had, they had a lot going on that way. Spiritually speaking, they were poor. More goods doesn't mean you're good. You can't fill the void with stuff. They were blind. Were they blind physically? No, they're blind spiritually, like 2 Peter uh, verse uh, 1, 9 says, But he that lacketh these things is blind. He cannot see afar off and is forgotten. But he was purged from his own sins. It's a spiritual blindness that characterizes the church age in which we live. I don't want to disparage like any group. I don't want to speak evil of my brothers and sisters in Christ. But... There's a lot going on in the name of Christianity, which is really, in terms of spiritual insight, it's, it's blindness. They don't know what they need to know. And then finally, the, the Lord tells the, the church at Laodicea that they're naked. That nakedness has to do with being covered with the righteousness of Christ. Think about the first time we, we 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 get naked in the Bible, not we get naked when we read about people being naked in the Bible. They were naked. That's just I'm just trying to dovetail with Sam's message about burning your clothes. Okay, I'll quit. Okay, they were in the garden. They were naked, and they weren't ashamed because there was no sin. Then, because they wanted to be as gods, knowing good and evil, they ate of the fruit of the garden. And what happened? Their eyes were open. They saw themselves were naked. And what did they do? They sewed 
aprons of fig leaves and went and hid themselves from God. Okay, so, so follow with me. They covered themselves to cover the shame of their sin. Okay? And then they were okay. And when God showed up, they're like, it's good. I'm covered, right? Is that what happened? They still had to hide. They still had to blame others. They still had to deflect. Why? Because the covering of themselves with the fig leaves was not sufficient to undo their unrighteousness that came from their sin. So, so God's like, oh, this is bad. The curse came. But then what happens? God covered them with the skin of an animal. So through the death sacrifice, the blood atonement of an animal, they were able to be covered temporarily with the with the covering <clears throat> okay Re revelation 19 8 says that the white linen is the righteousness of the saints so to the church at laodicea it's like you guys are your self-righteousness see you think you're good you think because you're rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing that you don't have any need spiritually because you don't have any need Physically, and what you don't understand is your fig leaves, your self-righteousness, your self-determination, your self-provision, your self-protection, all like you think you're good, but you're really completely naked. And when God shows up, you're just going to hide. You're going to realize those things don't actually cover. You're, you're, you're naked spiritually in terms of that. Okay, so listen. I'm not, I'm not trying to talk bad about other churches or promote our church. I'm saying we live in the days of Laodicea. And we will default to a spiritual state of, of apathy. Not warm, not, not hot, not cold, and it's just disgusting to the Lord. And we can't do that. And we can't have services where, where it's more about entertainment than it is about exhortation, and it's more about performance than it is about the power of God. And so, so that's what's missing in our churches today. Now, I, I want to continue here because it's not just something that's missing. There's someone missing. This is the problem. Okay, this is the, the, the problem that leads to the powerlessness Okay, is the fact that there is someone missing. Revelation 3, 19 through 21. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore. That's the opposite of lukewarm. Be zealous and repent. Behold, listen to this. You guys, try to get your heads around this. I stand at the door and knock. I'm on the outside of my own church. I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in to him and will sup with him and he with me. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am sat down with my father in his throne. So the thing is, the presence of God is missing from our services. All right, so let's let's look at this real quick. Luke chapter 4. I don't know why that's three's on there. Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Jesus says. He's quoting Isaiah. Because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. 
and hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Okay, hang on a minute, Church of Laodicea. Did you, did you see that? All of our problems with being miserable and wretched and poor and blind and naked, all of those things can be addressed by the Spirit that is upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Sam, that, that whole worship service about the presence of God and how good he is to us. I love Christine's testimony. Okay? Christine's testimony, I got permission to, to share this. Christine's testimony, she's now 10 months sober. Woohoo! Okay. Ask her what happened. And she'll say, I, I'm, I don't know. God did it. Okay, here's what happened. She came in here and she met Jesus. And you know what Jesus does? He delivers the captives. He sets at liberty them that are bruised. He, okay, so, so listen. He preaches the gospel to the poor. What does he call the church at Laodicea? You're not rich, you're poor. Hey, I got good news for you. He heals the brokenhearted. Okay, so the miserable and the wretched, there is a healer for them. Deliverance to the captives. We know that there are people who are snared. Okay, 2 Timothy chapter 2. The servant of the Lord must not strive, but must be gentle, apt to teach, instructing those that oppose themselves. Why? That they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil. The church of the Odyssey is blind, but the spirit of the Lord can help recover the sight of the blind. So, so Jesus is the savior for the sin. He's the healer for the sorrows, the deliverer from the snares, the giver of sight. He liberates the subjugated. Okay, so why isn't his presence palpable? Why isn't this everybody's spiritual reality? Why is it that that guy who comes in who's an addict and he's just struggling and he knows he's supposed to be here and he wants victory, he just... He can't seem to maintain it. Why isn't he set free every time he comes into a church service, which is meeting in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? And the answer is because Jesus is on the outside. Hey, I hear you guys are having a service in my name. Okay, Jesus is on the outside. And, and here's the thing. There's a tendency for us in Laodicea we want God's presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S. -E -E we want his, like, birthday present from Jesus. Okay. But we don't actually want God's presence. You're like, well, no, we all want God's presence. No, you want an experience with God. You want to feel the praise in your soul. You want to get fed spiritually. Okay. The reason, okay, what's Laodicea mean? People. As gods, knowing what's good and evil for themselves. Self-determination. 
I'm the ruler of my ship. I rule my own life. No one can tell me what to do. Okay, here's the deal. Ready? When I open the door and let Jesus into my life, guess what? I'm no longer in charge of my life. Because he is Lord. And the one thing that he will not do is he will not override your free will and make you do what's right. Okay. Here's why we're in the Gospel of John. Because it presents Jesus for who he is. John, he's the guy that wrote the book of Revelation. That's the revelation of Jesus Christ for who he really is. John is the disciple whose head was on Jesus' breast, like two inches from his heart, hearing his heartbeat. He's the one who shared things with Jesus that probably others didn't get insight into. And the reason that people don't open the door is because they're afraid to let go of control. Like that anorexic person who won't trust. It is a, it is a overwhelming, incapacitating fear they will not let go of control because what if someone will have them do something that's scary, something that they don't want to do, something that would go against their natural tendencies? Okay, here's, here's why we're going to be studying the book of John. You can trust him. You can open up the door of your life. You can clean off the throne of your heart and let him have his rightful place. He's, he's called the great physician. We all got it. We all got some disease and we need him to come in and do his work. Nobody wants to get surgery. But if I need surgery and I have a good physician, what choice do I have? I have to trust that surgeon to do his work or her work in my life, right? No, I, I saw a patient Thursday. He came in, he had this problem, and I'm like, okay, well, we're going to do some tests and start an IV, give you some fluids. He goes, oh, no, no needles. He goes, I'm scared of needles. I said, well, that's all I do is needle stuff. Like, like I don't, I said, I'm, I'm really appreciative of how scared you are of needles. But you have to trust me. And we're going to do it anyway. And he, he had a significant problem that needed evaluated and treated. We needed to get the labs, all that stuff. So he, like, he was really fearful, but he trusted me. And then he, like, we were able to take care of him. Okay, you can trust God. He is so good. He, he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. The question isn't, you know, did you say any bad words this week? You need to go to confession or something like that. The question is, who's in control of your life? And if we let him have control, then we have his presence. See, we have to open up the door. But when we do, we have to just like take off our shoes because now it's holy ground. You just might end up falling on your face before his presence because you're amazed at the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. And his marvelous love for you and his care for you. Now it eclipses everything that was wrong when you came in. And it's not because we did anything right. It's just we said yes to the Lord. 
and his presence and the spirit of God with all the things that the spirit of God does is now applied to your life and the power of God is with the spirit of God and the presence of God. And we leave here having met with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, can you trust him? I don't know. Do you know him? Do we know him for who he is? And that is why we're going to be studying the gospel of John. Because the gospel of John presents Jesus for who he is as the son of God. All power, all authority, love, eternal life. The things that we need to know to be able to trust God, we're going to see in the gospel of John.